Episode 14 of Advancing Quality and Patient Safety, Physician Leadership. That is our topic today as we visit with Dr. Robert Underwood, the Chief Medical Officer at San Juan Regional Medical Center. Dr. Underwood is in the process of writing a book on physician leadership, and he shares with us key insights and lessons from his book. Dr. Underwood and I cover the topics of how can you identify good potential leaders in your organization, differences and similarities between formal and informal leaders, and lastly, we talk a great deal about developing a leadership philosophy, what it is, why it's important, and how you can apply that philosophy when leading teams in your hospital. You are definitely going to appreciate Dr. Underwood's insights on leadership. Stay with us. Welcome to Advancing Quality in Patient Safety, a podcast by the New Mexico Hospital Association. This podcast highlights member hospital efforts in the fields of quality and patient safety and features insights from clinical experts across our state. This podcast serves the purpose of facilitating shared learning and collaboration across NMHA member hospitals. Okay, welcome everybody to episode 14 of Advancing Quality and Patient Safety. Uh, this is a podcast by the New Mexico Hospital Association. My name is Dan Lenari, the Director of Quality and Patient Safety for NMHA and your host for this podcast series. So uh, we are excited to have you with us today. And um, after today's episode, I will uh, point you back to some of the, the recent episodes that we had just published also. Episode 12 was with Sharon Radcliffe. She is the Chief Nursing Officer at Los Alamos Medical Center. And she talked to us about nurse leader burnout and some of the research that she has done with that. Uh, episode 13, we had Marie Cleary Fishman. She is the Vice President of Clinical Quality with the American Hospital Association. And Marie talked with us about large-scale performance improvement. And so uh, after you enjoy today's episode, we point you back to those and also uh, previous episodes that we have recorded throughout this year and uh, hope you enjoy those. So um, before we get started today, I'd like to disclose that today's podcast has been approved for Nursing Professional Development, Continuing Nursing Education. New Mexico Hospital Association is an approved provider of nursing professional development, continuing nursing education by New Mexico Nurses Association CNE accredited approver unit. So today's presenter has no conflict of interest to disclose. And so um, for folks listening, and I know um, many have, have, have used uh, this resource already as getting uh, nursing CEs, uh, we published uh, a SurveyMonkey link for, for uh, season one, you could call it, which was episodes one through 11. And so you're able to get CEs for those episodes. And then later this year, uh, now that we're into season two of this podcast series, uh, later this year into 2019, we will uh, create another link so that you can get uh, nursing CE credit for the season two episodes. So encourage uh, New Mexico nurses and clinicians to uh, take advantage of that uh, opportunity and service provided to you all. So Today's episode, uh, episode 14, we are, are absolutely thrilled to have uh, Dr. Robert Underwood with us. Uh, Dr. Underwood is the Chief Medical Officer at San Juan Regional Medical Center in Farmington, and a uh, very impressive background that I will let him uh, give us a, a little bit more detail about in a bit, but um, uh, Dr. Underwood is a, 
Military Academy, West Point graduate, uh, graduated from medical school at the University of South Carolina, uh, residency uh, of emergency medicine at Wake Forest University, and he also holds a master's degree in healthcare delivery science from Dartmouth. And so Dr. Underwood has held a variety of uh, physician leadership roles, um, and twice he has been listed on Becker Hospitals Reviews, Hospital and Health Systems, CMOs to Know. So uh, Dr. Underwood is, is going to talk to us uh, today uh, uh, a, lo a lot on the topic of leadership and uh, talk about some of his experience, uh, talk about his, uh, some of the writing that he has done around the topic of leadership, and so we really look forward to that discussion. So uh, with that, Dr. Underwood, uh, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Dan, I'm really happy to be here. So, Dr. Underwood, I, I gave a little bit of your, your background, but if, if you could just uh, kick us off by giving us a little bit more about your career uh, that led into your current role at CMO uh, San Juan Regional Medical Center. Sure. I know that my pathway is a little bit outside of the norm for a lot of physicians. Um, so, yeah, the the pathway that led me to where I am. Um, so, so I graduated from the academy and I was commissioned as an officer, actually as an artillery officer. I had nothing to do with medicine at the time. Uh, biology had been an interest in high school, but I went to West Point, um, actually studied engineering uh, while I was there and became an artillery officer. And that was really my, my job for a while. Um, and then I came out of active duty military after serving my required time and went to work originally at doing some operations management for a division of Caterpillar Tractor. Mm -hmm. um, so again, still no medicine. Um, what I was really working on at that time was uh, leadership management, those kinds of things. Uh, then I was only with Caterpillar for a short period of time in Desert Storm back in the early 90s for those of you that can remember that. Uh, started up and I was actually pulled back on active duty again as an artillery officer. Um, when that came to an end um, and my active duty time ended, I ended up moving to South Carolina due to family uh, reasons. And that's actually when I decided I was going to relook at doing medicine. Again, that was something I thought about in high school, but in my adult life really hadn't. Um, and so when I was in South Carolina, I actually went by the med school and said, look, here's my transcripts from college? Am I stupid for wanting to pursue medicine? And they basically said, you need to work in a hospital and get some experience, and here's the pre-med classes that you need. So I did that and uh, ended up working evening shift in a medical records department before the days of HIM or computer systems. And, um, and I did that for two and a half years while I finished my biology courses. And then the rest is kind of as you described. It was uh, med school in Columbia, South Carolina, residency at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, and then into private practice in uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia uh, at Rockingham Memorial Hospital. And I was pretty much just clinical for seven, eight years. And then um, along came uh, an implementation of that thing they called the electronic medical record. And they tried to implement that at our hospital without much physician input. Needless to say, that didn't go very well. Yeah. Um, and so the chief medical officer at the hospital there at the time um, knew a little bit about my background, um, having a lot of leadership experience, um, worked on projects and operations 
and uh, he was also prior military, so I think that also gave him a little bit of insight, at least into what my education really meant. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of came to me and said, we need somebody to be this chief medical informatics officer. Of course, nobody really knew what one of those was back then. <laughs> and um, he asked me if I would do it, and I told him no um, three times. Um, <laughs> but as I like to say, his powers of persuasion were greater than my powers of resistance, and I ended up doing that job, and that was my first foray into administration. And since then, it's grown. Um, you know, once we were live and running on CPOE, I had a little bit more time on my hands, so I went and got my master's degree at Dartmouth. Um, did some stuff around population health, did some things around uh, what we call clinical transformation, which was really all around uh, decreasing unnecessary variation in order sets and uh, diagnostic uh, workup uh, for our patients in the emergency department as well as inpatient. So. Right. That's kind of what got me to that point. Um, then we were bought by the Sintera, which is a large system out on the East Coast. And pretty much all the administrative work I was doing was going to move to corporate, which is about four hours away. And they said, hey, we can piecemeal a job to, together for you. And I said, thanks. I got my master's degree. Now I'm going to go look and see what I can find and ended up becoming a chief medical officer first in Colorado and now down here. That's great. Well, that's a, a very diverse background and very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. So, so Dr. Underwood, today, uh, leadership being uh, really the key theme of, of what we're talking about and we'll talk about your book and what, what you've written about leadership and your experience sure. in leadership. And I, the first question I was, I was going to ask kind of about your transition to formal leadership, uh, but as listening to your story, you were really uh, you were in leadership positions uh, before you even became a physician, and then you went back to leadership physician positions together. So uh, you kind of uh, started as a leader and then started and then went as a clinician and then back into some formal leadership positions. So I'm just curious about your the inspiration about or your inspiration that that drove you to want to be in leadership positions? Maybe that was before you became a physician or after. Can you just kind of talk through some of your inspiration in that? Yeah, it, absolutely. And um, it really is uh, kind of a com- combination of two passions, if you will. You know, the, 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 the academy and the things that I aspired to prior to becoming a physician were really around leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the academy is there. Their mission is to um, educate, train, and inspire leaders of character, um, is what what they say. And so it really is a a place where leaders are educated and built. And then so having that as a background, and then going in through medicine and having that secondary passion, mm-hmm. um, and then having the opportunity, um, you know, somewhat through uh, circumstances, again, with the implementation of an EMR and somebody coming to me and saying, hey, we could really use your skill set somewhere. Um, being able to combine those things together, I think, really became uh, synergistic. I know that word is kind of overused almost in, in the world of business these days, but it really was the combination of the two things that allowed me to put two passions together at the same time. Great. Very cool. So let's uh, let's talk about this book, Doctor Underwood. Uh, maybe first uh, start with the motivation behind writing it, and then 
and then kind of just bring us through the kind of the summary of the story about this book. Sure. Um, so inspiration behind it. Uh, so as I moved into medical leadership roles, I tried to seek out organizations that talk about physician leadership. Um, there's a couple of them that are out there, but I noticed just based on my understanding and previous education around leadership that they talked a lot about management and they didn't talk a lot about leadership. Mm -hmm. um, you can take some of the classes and, and you learn about um, healthcare finance as a physician. And these are important topics. Don't get me wrong. They're very important topics as a physician moves out of the clinical realm and starts to move into leadership, um, you need to know these things. But health law, uh, what are the things that can get you in trouble in terms of contract negotiation, et cetera? It's not about malpractice law, it's about what are the regulations really behind healthcare. We talk about healthcare finance and the idiosyncrasies around the financial components of healthcare, which most people wouldn't really understand unless they're involved in it. Yeah. Um, we talk around about processes of um, project improvement, um, you know, Lean Six Sigma, things like that. But these are all management techniques. Um, they are really not leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's a big difference between those things. So as I was reviewing this, I thought that that's really kind of a gap uh, mm -hmm. for physicians. When you think about what a physician's education has been, what do most physicians do? I, I already said that mine is very unique, very different than almost any other doctor. And so most physicians go through high school, do very well, get into college, do very well, go to med school, get into a residency program, and then boom, they're at the other end of the residency program. And suddenly they're an authority, which they are technical experts around the healthcare that they provide, but nowhere along that pathway did they learn anything about leadership and motivation. Mm -hmm. um, inspiration, influence, et cetera. Um, and so supposedly, I think maybe you're supposed to absorb that in the process, but of course, most clinicians won't. Yeah. So seeing that as a gap, um, I was working with a company or at least having correspondence with a company called Academy Leadership, where they really take some of the principles that are taught at the various service academies around leadership um, and talk to them about whether or not they had anything in the healthcare space um, around their basic leadership. They, they literally have a course that's called Leadership Boot Camp, and it was really originally designed uh, for project management. And so I talked to the CEO of the company, who I still talk to on a regular basis, and said, hey, would you be interested in taking a lot of these concepts and converting them into the medical field? And so I first started by taking some, one of their classes just to make sure that I understood kind of what their principles were. And then I took their leadership boot camp as well as a couple of other modules and I converted it to teach in a healthcare setting. Gotcha. So that was one of the first parts of it. And then I know that they've got books out and their books are not written on, as a how-to, they're written as stories. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that you learn a lot from stories. Every good leader is a storyteller, yeah. and people remember from stories. And so um, 
they have kind of a format almost that they like to follow of a person who's put into a leadership role and they've got to learn how to be a leader along the way. And so I offered and worked with the CEO of the company to say, hey, why don't we do this for healthcare? And that's really kind of the basis of the story. Quick outline is you have a young orthopedic uh, surgeon who um, is working in a joint replacement service line and he ends up becoming the medical director mm -hmm. for that service line. And he quickly comes to the realization that he's ill-prepared to do the work of a medical director, understanding what those leadership uh, techniques um, are. And so it turns out in the, in the storyline that one of his patients is prior military and so they end up in conversations about what it means to be a leader, what are some of the techniques that you have as a leader, um, what are things that make leaders effective, and it's almost a mentorship or coaching session that goes on through that uh, kind of experience for the young medical director. Gotcha. So uh, fun, fun to write uh, because there's a lot of reminiscing um, while I go through it. It's a lot of lessons that I learned along the way, uh, things I did in the military, things that I did at the academy. We revisit some of those things um, as I go through the book. Very good. So yeah, we'll get into some of those details as far as the, the principles that are taught in the book and, and pulling from your experience and what you wrote. Well, how long did this process take just to, as far as writing this book and or maybe the idea to bring, bring us through the timeline a little bit? Sure. So, uh, gosh, I'm probably going on two and a half years now. Gotcha. Um, um, it probably could be done faster, except I'm the CMO for a hospital. And, <laughs> that's, uh, that's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's um, you know, I, I work normal. Uh, a normal day is 10 hours. Um, it's not unusual to hit 12 or 13 hours in a day. Yeah. And so trying to fit in the time to um, write uh, chapters or to edit chapters is, you know, it's hard to fit that in. You know, weekends end up being part of that. Um and it's not published yet. Uh, last night, I submitted for proofreading. There are 23 chapters of the book. Gotcha. And last night, I submitted for final editing and proofreading chapters 12, 13, and 14. Gotcha. So I got nine more to go. I hope to be done in another two to three weeks with the final edits. The chapters are written. It's just as I go through, I'm like, oh, I want to highlight this a little bit more, and I want to um, – but then I, as I bring more things in, I got to make sure that it stays consistent with the storyline. Yeah. Very so cool. anyway, that's kind of where I am right now. But yeah, I'd say it's been about two, two and a half years in the making so far. That's neat. So, so in this book, you, uh, like you said, the, the physician was, was chosen uh, for a leadership role, but uh, realized he wasn't uh, prepared, uh, which as you were talking through your experience and talking through your first kind of appointment of a leadership position as a physician, that was kind of the, kind of what you were saying. Uh, so I'm sure you pulled from your personal experience there. Um, but I think as you know, what happens a lot in healthcare and in, in a lot of fields, uh, I think it's this, um, uh, you're a, you're a great physician or you're a, you're a great nurse. Therefore you must be a, you must be a good leader. So let's make you a manager. Let's make you a director or what have you. Um, 
So I'm interested about your thoughts on, you know, now that you're in a, a formal leadership position now and, and, and from your experience in a variety of roles, talk to us about your thoughts on how do leaders identify other good potential leaders? What is a, a framework or kind of a thought process behind how folks can do that? Yeah, yeah it's, the, the, that is a multifaceted question, Yeah, um, for sure. And you're right. Uh, we take people who are good clinically, maybe have a good personality, seem to get along with everybody, and then say, oh, well, we'll make you a charge nurse. And then from there, you become floor manager. And, and we never seem to prepare those folks with the toolbox that they need really to be good leaders. Yeah. Um, and so that was some of my motivation as well. So in terms of picking, um, you know, or at least trying to identify, yeah. um, one I would say is aspiration. Uh, in other words, ask them, you know, is this something that you would be interested in doing? Um, and then the next is to look at, okay, what are some of the things that they may have been involved with in the process already? So it's looking at what is their overall competence and leadership type roles. Um, the next I would say is to try to introduce them to leadership concepts and leadership experiences, um, kind of slowly put them on a committee, put them in charge of a committee, um, and see how those roll. But then the other thing that I always say is, um, are they willing to do the preparation? In other words, do we have clinicians who have the insight to know that just because they may have an informal influence with folks, um, that they may still not be prepared really for all of the things that leadership entails. Gotcha. Um, and the reason I say that is because it, it becomes somewhat of a commitment. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to be a leader and if you want to be a good leader, then that has to become part of your primary role. And I go all the way back to when I was in the military, is as soldiers would get promoted into higher ranks, I would tell them, especially say that you have a young cannoneer, that somebody works on an artillery piece or a, um, a young soldier in the artillery, as he becomes a section chief or the head of a gun crew, the conversation I would have with them is your primary job is no longer to know how that gun works. Your primary job is to understand the people yeah. and to motivate and lead those people that now work on that piece. And it's the same thing in healthcare. Um, you have to maintain your skills, your competencies, everything else. There's, that is a foregone conclusion, but your primary role is now leadership. Yeah. And just like you had to dedicate your time and effort to becoming a good nurse, a good respiratory therapist, a good physical therapist, a good physician, will you have and dedicate the time and effort it takes to become a good leader? And so those are kinds of questions that you can discuss with them as they move into those roles and what are their interest levels, what's their dedication, and are they capable as they move through different phases of that leadership? Right. That makes sense. Good stuff. So the, the physician in this story finds a mentor, as you, as you talked about. Um, tell us about some mentors in your career, uh, how they've shaped or influenced you, and then, and then maybe some advice for young leaders of 
how do young leaders seek out mentors and, and uh, guidance on that? Sure. Oh, um, let's see. Who have been mentors in my life? The first one that always seems to come to mind when I think about this is uh, a gentleman who uh, currently lives in Texas. He is a retired two-star general, um, but Frank L. Miller Jr. is his name, um, and I was his aide. So I'm, for those people who are familiar with the military, I was a general's aide at one time, um, and he was the commander over three brigades and what we call the three corps artillery mm -hmm. um and it, just kind of the way he uh the way he led the way he inspired uh folks his positive attitude um has always been of interest to me uh in that way i was kind of lucky because a general's aide is literally at the general side almost all of the time Okay. And it becomes um, unintentionally almost a mentorship type relationship, but I think everybody knows that. A general's aide position is known in the Army especially to be a grooming position. In other words, it's somebody who's been identified as a potential um, future high-ranking leader. Mm -hmm. And so they put him in that position so you can see what happens at that higher level. So he became somewhat of a mentor, just me being able to watch what he did, how he did it, and then having conversations about why he did what he did, um, what frustrated him about being in the military, in the Army, in that level of a leadership role, et cetera. The next um, mentor that always comes to mind is uh, Dale Carroll. And um, I will, I'll share the podcast with Dale. Uh, so Dale was actually the chief medical officer who asked me uh, to be the chief medical informatics officer back in Virginia. Gotcha. Um, and so I learned a lot from Dale, uh, especially on what it meant to be in a higher level, level of leadership within the healthcare environment, uh, because it's very different. It's, mm -hmm. it's not the same as in every other setting and there's lots of idiosyncrasies about healthcare as we all already know. Um, your last part of the question was um, advice for young leaders and how do you seek out mentors. Um, I would say that the primary thing to do is seek out people that you appreciate their style and you think that they're effective in what they do and just ask them. Hey, I'm looking for somebody to uh, potentially mentor me along the way. Do you mind if we get together occasionally and have conversation about what's going well, what's not going well? Um, you know, and some of that is also getting into what's the difference between a mentor and a coach. Uh, there, there's a there's a difference between the two, although there's gray area in between. Um, the other thing that I would say is that you don't only have to have one. In other words, none of us do everything well. Mm -hmm. So there may be one person who handles this particular area or window of their work well, but somebody else who does another thing well, and you can all actually seek out guidance on more than one person. Gotcha. So talk us through that. I'm curious. I'm not sure I'm clear on the differences between a mentor and a coach. I guess I, I envisioned a coach as being being more short-term and a mentorship being long-term. Am I right in that? Or, or what are the differences? Um, sometimes. So generally coaching is looking at building performance. Um, and so a coach generally is observing you in your work 
and then gives you feedback on your performance, what's going well, what's not, and um, kind of helping you along the way. Mentorship is actually around building your capability. Gotcha. And it um, really, you're there almost as a counselor, as a mentor, um, to where you're developing the their own kind of wisdom of that leader. Uh, so that's kind of the difference. One of them is more on a, a mentorship is more on a philosophical basis. You know, you come to me, you talk to me about what, what's going well, what's not. And then we have a conversation about why isn't that going, going well? What do you think about that as a coach is really performance? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, what are the results you're able to generate? How well are you doing this job or that job? You know, I saw you leading this meeting and here's an example. So, um, if I watch a physician who's a young leader and they're leading a meeting and, um, one of the things that you want to do if you're facilitating a meeting is make sure that you draw out the conversation, even from the people who are perhaps not contributing, they may have something very valuable, valuable to contribute. So after a meeting, if I saw that happening, I may go to the, to the fo- person who was facilitating and say, Hey, um, you notice Dr. So-and-so they really didn't open up in that, but I already know that they've got some insight into the um, area of infectious disease or antibiotic stewardship or something like that. You know, that was an opportunity where you really could have pulled them out a little bit because I think they may have had something valuable to add. That would be a coaching type uh, thought process. Yeah. Um, mentorship would be more along the, the lines of, um, you know, I think this is something that we would want to do, you know, an area we would want to branch out to in terms of, uh, eliminating unnecessary variation. How do you think um, the physicians would take that if you started to introduce requirements around documentation? And then we have a conversation about whether or not we think that would be a viable option and how they might influence that outcome. Gotcha. That would be more mentorship than coaching. Great. That's helpful. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to leadership philosophy, Dr. Underwood. Um, you mentioned this in your book and, and it's spoken about, is this, is leadership philosophy, is it, is it the same as like leadership style? I mean, I, I'm familiar with, you know, many folks are with like a servant leadership style and all these different kind of, uh, leadership styles that are out there. Is, is, is leadership style the same as leadership philosophy or are they completely different or walk us through some of that if you could. Yep, absolutely. It's, so um, especially when the book comes out, it'll, um, I think be a little bit more clear. So leadership philosophy is really something um, I've seen it primarily in the military, although I have seen it in other settings as well. A leadership philosophy, uh, again, kind of getting in that mentorship, is you exploring what motivates you. Why are you a leader in the first place? What are your values? Um, you know, the things that I value is, you know, honor, duty, um, uh, honesty. Um, and so from that, you kind of build this list of what do I think good leaders look like? Uh, They care about people, they're open, they're positive. And so you write up a leadership philosophy is almost a page and a half description of A, why am I sharing this in the first place? Because I share my leadership philosophy with everybody who works on my team. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'll send it to you, Dan, and um, maybe we can put it somewhere. But the 
the leadership philosophy is, okay, this is what I'm doing. Here are my values. Um, you know, hopefully your values align with your organizational values. That would be kind of important. Yeah. Um, the next thing you really kind of talk about are here are my expectations of my team that work for me based on my leadership philosophy. Mm-hmm. I expect you to be upfront with me. I expect you to argue with me before we make a decision. And these are things that are in mind. But once we've made a decision, I expect you to support that decision as we take it forward through the rest of the organization. These are parts of my leadership philosophy. Then the next part that I have is, okay, I've said what I expect of you. These are the things you should expect of me. And if I'm not doing these things, you need to hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. So that's really a philosophy. Now, you brought in leadership style. Yeah, there's servant leadership, um, there's authoritarian leadership, there's transformational leadership, and all of those situational leadership, mm-hmm. all of those are different kinds of leadership styles. Yeah. And a lot of that may be captured in your leadership philosophy gotcha. because what you're defining is kind of how you're going to go about business. Um, but yeah, you know, I the whole leadership style um or um is I, I would say it's relative. And yeah. the example I give, I'm an emergency physician. Code comes in, we're doing ACLS, and I am, you know, making sure we've got an airway, I'm making sure the vitals are being checked, we've got the patient on the monitor, IV is started, meds are being given. That's leadership. Yeah. But the style that I'm using is very dependent on the team, the task, and the leader. Kind of a, if you put three rings together in like a Venn diagram, the leadership style you choose will be based on those three variables. So in a code situation ER, I have a very skilled team in a very high pressure, time sensitive um, circumstance. My leadership style there is going to be very different than, as you know, we recently rolled out an electronic medical record. That's a year and a half. And so my style is going to be different based on the team because the team is unknowledgeable about what the new electronic medical record is going to be, what it's going to look like and how it's going to influence them. And the task is a very long-term task at hand. Leadership style is going to be different. Great. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And I, I like you're talking through the, the leadership philosophy and how you share that with your team and, you know, set expectations maybe for them, but then they, you know, it, it kind of, it goes both ways and it's this really transparent and open process. I would imagine that that has a, a pretty strong effect on the culture of teams in an organization. Uh, Would you agree with that or, you know, kind of insights around that as far as its effect on culture? Or is that maybe one of its goals of of sharing it in that way? Absolutely. It it is. Um, The uh, so sharing your leadership philosophy. um, It. The discussion. There, there are two parts of the discomfort, I would say. Yeah. One is that people think that they are going to get pot shots if they're not completely living up to what they said they were going to do in their philosophy. And that might be 
a little uncomfortable for people to be in that position. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does set the tone right up front. Um, The other thing that I would say is that then some people think, okay, I'm going to spend all this time and effort. I'm basically pouring out my heart and soul into my leadership philosophy. And when it is met sometimes with almost indifference, um, because sometimes it is, you almost feel let down. (laughs) I spent all this time (laughs) and effort into uh, how I feel about stuff. And and you're not quite sure it's been taken seriously. I will say that um, as I have shared my leadership philosophy, I, I regularly go back and uh, solicit from my team, am I doing what I said I would do? Yeah. Um, from my leadership philosophy, do I live this? Yeah. And my, the answer I generally get back now, I understand that because of my position, it may be filtered a little bit, but the answer I usually get back is, yes, you're doing the things that you said you were going to do. Yeah. That's great. Let's um, let's shift to some maybe informal leadership, Dr. Andorad. So thinking about leading those who don't report to you. Uh, so, you know, we have a lot of uh, quality directors and patient safety directors and that listen to the podcast. So, you know, a lot of those folks are in positions to where they don't have teams reporting to them per se, but they are looked at as a leader in their hospital and they need to be able to influence. And, and like you said, physicians um, are naturally kind of put into those leadership positions because they're the clinical leader of that particular case. So can you talk to us about do informal leaders, do they need to think about leadership differently than you know, a formal leader, like a chief medical officer or, 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 or what would be your guidance on that? Always tricky, and my answer is yes and no. Yeah. Um, always. Uh, so what does being a formal leader really get you? And I would say that it gets you a foot in the door. Yeah. And that's it. Otherwise, you still have got to provide influence. You still need to build trust. You need to build motivation. You are looking out for others and what you can do to help them achieve. Um, And so I would say that no matter what role you're in, uh, that's really your job. I I was actually listening to a um, a YouTube video or watching YouTube video of Simon Sinek, and this was his very subject. Mm -hmm. Because I know lots of people, this is him talking, who are in a – position that holds a rank but they are not leaders and i know lots of people that have no rank and they are leaders and so it really is around the skill set and how you go about influencing people looking out for those people uh, working with them those people building a team environment that really is what makes you a leader as opposed to a position holder great so you've been a, a leader for a fair amount of your career and obviously a tremendous leader. Um, 
but maybe you've made some mistakes. Uh, maybe, maybe one that you could share with us. Interested to hear if you could talk about mistakes you've made in your career as a leader and what did you learn from them and others can take from that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mo, this is, this is me just experiential speaking. This isn't anything that I've read or anything like that. Um, most mistakes don't even, you don't even know they're mistakes until after they happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's usually about priorities and assumptions. Um, so an example that I like to give is, um, at another facility, um, where I was, there was a question of drug diversion, um, in a particular setting. Um, there were four people that had access to the medication and poor documentation around it. We thought it was just a poor documentation issue. We really didn't think it was drug diversion, but we had a protocol that we needed to follow. One of those folks was a physician. Um, and so I made the assumption that that doctor would take on the position of the way we in the military team tend to think, and that is I'll lead by example. I will be the first one to go do everything that we need to do by protocol. Mm -hmm. And then everybody else will fall in line. That's just what's best to do as a leader. Um, this provider um, ended up feeling as if their integrity, their honor had been impugned mm -hmm. by putting the expectation on them that they would have to do everything that everybody else had to do. Um, all the way to being basically escorted for testing and stuff like that, which is normal. That's a normal protocol that we follow if there's a discrepancy in documentation. And, and all of it turned out to be fine, and that's all it was. Um, nonetheless, this led to uh, quite a ruckus, uh, I would say, not immediately, <laughs> but afterwards. Um, and that surprised me. So I made an assumption that they would look at the situation like I looked at the situation or how I would have handled it as a provider. Okay. And that's my fault for making that assumption. The other is priorities. Um, and in that I was working on something and I did not think that my involvement in that was necessary. So I did not put that in a high enough priority for me to go there. Um, I think if I had gone there and explained the situation myself very clearly, I think it would have had a very different outcome. So I did not prioritize it high enough um, based on the circumstance. Um, and I go to, um, and people who work with me know that I do this all the time. I like to do military quotes. One of the things that Robert E. Lee used to say is, where does a, a, an officer on the battlefield, where should he be? And then the answer is, here's guns. You go to the sound of the guns. Mm -hmm. Figurative, completely now. Um, yeah. Obviously, I'm not around the sound of the guns, but... At that time, that was the thing that was happening, and I should have gone there, and yeah. I didn't prioritize it the way I should have. Gotcha. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, we'll we'll end with with one more question, Doctor Underwood, and and uh, appreciate all your time today. But just going back to you as a leader, um, you're you're obviously a, a lifelong learner and um, always expanding your own professional development as a leader. Um, outside of being a chief medical officer, you decided to write a book and I'm 
like you said, that's next as far as getting that all completed. Uh, but anything else on the horizon on your own professional development plan per se and how you will uh, continually evolve as a leader? I kind of leave that open, I guess, is one of the things. There's certain things that I definitely want to do. Um, I related back to when I went to go get my master's degree. Yeah. And somebody said, well, what are you going to do with that degree? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I know that sooner or later, a door is going to open because I have it. Yeah. And that's kind of how I look at things. You know, what's natural for, you know, somebody in a CMO role first San Juan Regional Medical Center is an awesome place to be. I don't plan on leaving here anytime soon. Um, it's a great organization. It's a it's a an organization that is in rapid development right now um, around our quality initiatives, our safety initiatives, et cetera. I, I think there's some great things that are happening here. So um, that's definitely firm for right now. Other things that I look at, as you have heard, and you know, you and I have talked about this before, not just on this podcast. Um, I have a passion around leadership, around physician leadership and physician leadership development. Yeah. I've taught classes on this before, um, and I I could see myself doing that long term. Um, uh, speaking engagements, I think that would be fun to do as well. Um, you've seen me uh, get up and present; it's something that I enjoy doing. Um, and so I could see that as an opportunity in the future as well. Uh, you know, the standard is that I move from this to a larger organization or to a system level uh, as a CMO or, you know, maybe even as a CEO. Those are all options that would definitely be on the table. But, you know, it all depends on how things turn. Right now, I love San Juan Regional Medical Center. I love the team that I work with. And uh, I, I, I see myself being here for a while. That's great. Well, we, we appreciate you being in New Mexico, Dr. Underwood, and um, uh, appreciate your involvement with this podcast and different conferences that we've had that you've been able to participate in and, and leadership roles through the association. So, you know, just a, a lot of great stuff uh, from you today and, and really important insights that I think folks uh, across our state will learn from. And so I uh, just want to thank you one more time for being on the podcast, Dr. Underwood. I appreciate it. No, thanks, Dan. I, I, I appreciate talking to you. I always do. Great. And, uh, and thanks to our listeners uh, uh, for tuning into today's episode. We'll link in some resources from today's talk and, um, and uh, share this uh, podcast in our newsletter and across our Facebook page and, and uh, the avenues that we usually do. So uh, with that, we will close today's episode and we will catch everybody on the next one. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Advancing Quality in Patient Safety. Future episodes of this podcast can be heard at anchor.fm forward slash NMHA or subscribe to the podcast using the Anchor app. Please visit NMHA's HIN newsletter for materials and resources related to this podcast.